On this episode of Resi Week, we talk cybersecurity best practices, who should make your control drivers, and Sonos files a $100 million IPO. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 127, Cybersecurity RMR. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Chief, the global leader in commercial AV mounting solutions, and by SDVOE, the platform for networked AV. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott, for avnation.tv. And today I'm pleased to be joined by Andre Lalonde. He is an industry expert. How are you, sir? Doing good, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. He's coming to us live from Atlantic City, which oh is... Oh, my God. I don't know if we've ever had anyone coming come in and joining us from AC. This is awesome. <laughs> well, there you go. And yet another first. Check it. Exactly. Off. We're just checking it off the box. Yeah. Uh, last but not least, we have Colin Barcelou. He is the founder of Axios. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Gentlemen, let's jump right into a, uh, a fun story. This comes to us from Residential Systems. Uh, it is the need to know cybersecurity for residential uh, integrators. As you read through this wonderful story, it, he covers a lot of really good points as far as, you know, as we in this residential channel, we're continuing to own more and more of the network, which means by extension that we have to own the cybersecurity aspect of it. He goes through a couple of you know really important things as far as making sure that you are uh, protecting the network properly, changing passwords, uh, modifying VPNs, things like that. He also gets into a really interesting part that we're starting to see more and more is the gro- uh, the growing trend to see AI and managed services start to monitor uh, these installations and monitor these networks. And it's fantastic that we have Colin here because that's really a a big part of what Axios does. So Colin, I wanted to start with you on this. We've kind of known within the Cedia channel that this has been a really big deal for a couple of years. Um, But it's still something where, as you read through the article, you would have noticed one of the first things he said was make sure you change the default username and password, (laughs) which I would have thought that we are long past, but it comes up in every single conversation about cybersecurity and network security is that, yeah, go ahead and change those default passwords. Yep. It boggles my mind. Um, But so when we look at this and go, you know, we're not necessarily too far past that because we're still talking about basic things like that as we start to get into managed services and, you know, cybersecurity as a solution, is this something that is beyond most integrators' heads? Is this, is this so far past their skill set uh, that we have to outsource this? We have to work with a partner uh, to get there. Well, you know, I think it's a great question. And I think we're going to see cybersecurity come up more and more as, as all this IoT and devices come into consumers' homes. And if you look at all the latest surveys, cybersecurity is the number one issue for homeowners. And so I think, I think the short answer is uh, the Cedia channel integrators absolutely have the ability to do this. I think they just need some additional support. And so I think that's where we've taken the approach of saying, hey, we're going to work with integrators to help them do this. 
And at the end of the day, integrators are working with people, right? So anytime you work with people, consumers, homeowners, you're going to have problems. And so I think it's all about education. And I think we sometimes in this, in this industry, we always look for the latest, greatest technology and think that technology will solve everything. But I think really when it comes to cybersecurity for homes, it, it really starts with education and starts with working with consumers. Um, and so I think that's the number one thing. And so, for example, our, our system actually scans networks and looks for default passwords. And so if we detect a default password, we'll actually send an alert to the integrator or the homeowner and say, hey, this has a default password. You need to change it. And they still need to change it, but we'll alert them of it. And so I think those are the kind of things that we can work with uh, integrators to help them with. So I don't think it's beyond their capability at all. I think they can do it, but I do really think they want to bring in an expert to help assist them. Very good. Andre, Colin brought up a really good point when he was touching on, you know, essentially the best practices of this, that there are, you know, we know the basics, we just need to do them. Mm-hmm. If there's an integrator who does, yeah, just, we got to actually do them. Yeah, it's um, harder than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> when we're looking at this, and, you know, I've had quite a few conversations with different levels of integrators on this. Is this something that this now needs to, the, those best practices have to become second nature. They have to become, you know, something where you don't just plug anything into the network. If you haven't scanned it, checked it, make sure everything is secure when you're adding something in. Uh, absolutely. If anything, I'm kind of surprised to hear that integrators nowadays wouldn't be doing that in the first place, right? Um, you know, every time I go to put gasoline in my car, the first thing I check is what type of gas does need needs to go in my car. And then I try to teach this to my kids who, of course, keep putting the wrong type of gas in the car. So it's <laughs> ultimately, the yes, it's one of the basic skill sets. If you know how to wire a rack, if you know how to twist in a light bulb, you have to start understanding the basic elements of networking and of making some of these default changes. I personally know of integrators who've had their businesses locked up, their own businesses locked up, right by the old, you owe us $50 million in Bitcoin (laughs) or whatever else, because they hadn't themselves changed their corporate passwords. All right. Wow. Take a step back. So if the guy's company's not secure, what means he's going to do it for the homeowner that he's actually working for, right? So absolutely, table stakes, you got to start doing it. Now, let me take it from a different angle, though, Matt, because you know I like to talk a lot anyway. It's I'm shocked. You get, shouldn't be. <laughs> Every product that comes off of a line gets a firmware upgrade. Every product has a unique serial number. So the part that I've never truly understood is if the serial number is unique, why isn't that the password that goes in according to each one of the units and have a pairing, a one-to-one pairing? And we actually eliminate the password equals password right from the start. Yeah. Right? Your password is the serial number, which is located here on the box. Done. And then, so maybe there's something the manufacturers, and I know I'm being very simplistic here, but maybe there's something mm-hmm. the manufacturers could be doing as well to assist the dealer, right? So- to assist the consumer. So let me ask you one quick follow-up to, to both of you. Um, the one thing that has started to come up in this conversation has been liability. Is this beyond, because you always get something of, hey, I, I, I have this cool box that lets me watch this latest show, quote unquote. Uh, you know, can you plug it in for me? Can you get it hooked up? And a lot of times, you know, integrators will do that. They won't do that just depending on their, their internal corporate structure. But 
When it comes to liability and cybersecurity, we haven't seen yet a, a large uh, or a very public case, shall we say, where an integrator was working for someone who was breached and thus subsequently got sued. We haven't seen that hit the news yet, but it is a matter of time. To what extent can integrators protect themselves from a liability standpoint and prove that they're doing best practices when it comes to network security? I mean, honestly, I think it's one of the original documents that they should be handing off to the consumer when they're turning over the job, right? Basically, here's your remote codes, here's the passwords that have changed. It's part of the documentation element of it that they should be including. And by the way, this goes, this reminds me and smells a heck of a lot of who owns the code. Do you remember that debate uh-huh. that I had about 10, 12 years We're ago? We're still having it. <laughs> there you go, right? Who owns the code? Well, now at this point in time, it's the same thing. If I have an electrician come in and sparks fly because he didn't connect the wire right, he's at fault, right? Well, there's no difference between that and this particular situation as well. Very good. If somebody if somebody yeah. hacks my network. I also think it's an interesting, you know, you always follow the money, right? And you always have to think around that usually motivates people. And, and one of the challenges for, you know, you brought up the manufacturers is they've never really looked at service as, as a necessity. It's more of a cost center. So, you know, manufacturers are really always doing the minimum when it comes to support or service um, because their kind of view is, well, we, we, we produce it, we sell it, kind of hands clean and we're done. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's always been a challenge is who's going to pay for this. And I would argue that I think we're hitting a point where consumers are going to start paying for these types of services. Um, and I always use the analogy of how consumers pay for physical security, right? They pay for alarm companies. I think in the next two, three, five years, we're going to see consumers willing to pay for for virtual security of their home. And I think it's a tremendous opportunity for integrators. And we work with a lot of our partners to say, hey, this is a great upsell opportunity. And this cybersecurity should be part of your recurring revenue strategy and part of your recurring uh, strategy to maintain the relationship with customers. Because as you guys both know, cybersecurity is constantly evolving, right? And I, I totally agree that a checklist is important. We have a checklist template we share with our integrator partners, and I think you should do that 100%, um, and they should be smart about installation. But cybersecurity is one of those things that's evolving and ongoing, and you want to set it up right, but you also need support because things are always changing. So I think having cybersecurity as part of that ongoing conversation with the customer is imperative. That's very good. And you know, if you've ever written an uh, alarm contract, you'll notice right. that they're not liable for anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. It doesn't right. matter what happens. They're not yeah. liable 100%. So very interesting yeah. to see where that goes. All right, gentlemen, let's go to our next story. This actually comes to us from our website, aviation.tv. There's a new RTI driver for a Luxel PDU. Now, I, I don't want to really dig into, you know, the the actual driver and all the information about it, but suffice it to say, RTI has created a driver for this new uh, Luxel power distribution unit that allows people to essentially control all the parts of this PDU directly within RTI. Again, it just gives your end user complete control over uh, their their devices, their system from within that RTI thing. The, the conversation I wanted to have about this, and Andre, I'm going to start with you on this. It, we're seeing a lot of times you know, normally you can find a driver for any device you want, mm-hmm. any device you're putting into someone's home. But as, you know, systems have evolved and 
manufacturers are, are making, you know, really broad changes uh, as well as specific changes across the board. Think of uh, some of the new Samsung TVs and even the Sony TVs. There are, it's not one code set that works for every TV that they've put out this year. Mm-hmm. It's multiple stinking code sets for even within a specific series. Mm-hmm. How much of a, you know, reliability on the manufacturer is it, or, or should it be for dealers to have access to these types of, you know, these drivers and these code sets, or is this something that dealers should look at starting to do themselves? Oh my God, there went. And, and yet another religious debate considering that I've worked for two control companies. So why it's do you think of, I started with you? Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> Look, at the, I, I think it comes out to this. I think the, the, the manufacturer has a responsibility to be able to control what they want exposed by a third-party system of some type. Right. So therefore, it's they sh- they need to put out an API. They need to be able to put out whatever, whether that goes to the dealer, whether that goes to a, another a control company like a URC control for Crestron Savant. I think I've named them all. If not, mm-hmm. and you know, I'll throw in Pronto for my for old sake. Um, I mean, then then so be. Then let them have it. I've always I've always had the luxury of working for companies that actually did it both ways. First, mm-hmm. they always provided an opportunity for the dealer to be able to go and build a driver themselves. At least when it came to infrared, when it came to IP uh, infrared and RS two thirty two, when it came to IP and you know maybe even RF, fine. Then maybe you had to go behind the, the secret curtain type of thing, and then mm-hmm. you didn't have to wait until the the control company actually released it type of thing. But I think it's always you got to give them a little bit so that they're not dependent on the company. And then meanwhile, yeah, at the end of the day, it's their responsibility to, to be updating that API or at least those that those code sets and releasing it to the general and you know, releasing it to the dealer so they can control. Very good, Colin. Because you're you're in a uh, essentially a code writing company, right? Right. This you you have a lot of software engineers. Yep. Most. As much as we might call our programmers who program control systems programmers, a lot of times they're not true programmers. They're not necessarily, uh, you know, coming from that computer science background. How likely is it that, you know, most uh, integrators actually have someone on staff that can write a driver? (laughs) Um, I don't think it's that common um, that, uh, that we see. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely a challenge. And as the software gets more complicated, I think it just increases the, the skill sets needed to do that. Um, and so we don't, we don't see that a ton. I think that I totally agree with Andre about the kind of two tier approach. I think the manufacturers definitely have a responsibility to do that. Whether, whether, whether they will or not is a whole different story. Um, but, uh, so, um, so yeah, so I think, I think that's really the key is to really have that two, two, two tongue approach. Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our last story of the day. This comes to us from CE pro and of course lit up my Facebook. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> Julie's, Julie's Facebook post just lit it off for me. Uh, if you have been living under a rock, Sonos has filed a $1 million IPO, uh, and a hundred million dollars. Hundred million, yeah. What did I say? A hundred million or well, million? I know the Canadian dollars is going up a little bit, but a million to hundred million. Come on, not man. that much. Yes, well, you, are in, you are in Atlantic City, so you probably have a million. <laughs> oh, <dollars>. two points. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's start that again. 
Sonos has filed a $100 million IPO, and they're planning more direct-to-consumer sales. Uh, this is written by the wonderful Julie Jacobson. And as I said, if you want some really fun commentary, go check out her uh, Facebook post on this. But long and short, this has been hinted uh, for quite a while. We knew it was coming, especially back in May when they cut their workforce to you know, kind of boost their bottom line. The, th there's a couple really interesting things that come out of this. One, uh, I'm intrigued that the company is estimated to be valued at 2.5 to $3 billion because uh, that's pretty large for you know the small uh, size of their, their product line. But the, the bigger deal when we look at this is as you're reading through it, they're planning to boost their sales based on direct client interaction as well as direct through their app control. So Colin, let me come back to you uh, to, to start this off. When, when Sonos is looking at this and, you know, there's been a, shall we say, tumultuous relationship with the, <laughs> the residential channel, uh, everyone you talk to has had some sort of interaction that could be deemed uh, bad <laughs> uh, within that resi channel. That nicely. What, nice, right? Very smooth. Um, yeah. But it, it's, they've had their problems within this channel. They recently were at the uh, Cedia Business Exchange in Phoenix and had their VP of sales and their VP of uh, the custom channel come out and tell us how dedicated they are to this channel. And then, of course, they release this and say that they're going to push in-app sales, which is likely not going to affect me at all. Is yep. this something that you know, the writing has been on the wall for a while? This should not shock anyone. But that being said, is this something that we as residential integrators should be that concerned about? Is it not something where hopefully we've built a, a good enough relationship with our client to where they're going to get that ad possibly within, uh, within their app, whether it's you know a, a built-in part of a Crestron system or Savant or whoever, right. and they're still going to call us as the integrator versus yep. the local you know, your, your local DIY right. person. Exactly. Right. Is that yeah, not what we should expect? Absolutely. I mean, I think you hit the, the nail on the head uh, where integrators really have to become that trusted resource for consumers. And if they're providing value, like you said, and building that relationship, I think they're the first go-to. And that's the idea is you want to be the first go-to for consumers with any question around technology at home. And so Ideally, what, what we can all hope is that Sonos and now this $100 million, not Canadian dollars, $100 million no, US. US dollars is used to really, really market and push the smart home. And hopefully that gets more people excited about smart home products and gets more people into the channel. And uh, dealers and integrators are seen as the experts in the first go-to. Um, so I think that's what it's all about is continuing that relationship with the customer and really becoming that knowledge, um, becoming the, the expert and having that knowledge base. So they go to you first versus just walking into another you know, store going online. Um, so I think that's the key there is really building that relationship and being seen as the expert. Andre, this is something that I'm going to go back to kind of our, our shared past when we met, mm -hmm. uh, which was at a Lutron. And, and one of the biggest um, phrases that I always remember from every Lutron training I've ever been in is that a rising tide raises all the boats in that tide. Mm -hmm. 
we were very good within this channel of uh, essentially demonizing Sonos for how they've dealt with us and how they've done us wrong. But at the end of the day, they have expanded multi-room audio dramatically beyond what any you know integrator or manufacturer, uh, apologies to anyone who might take offense at that, but they've done this and made this a commonplace for everyone. My parents have multi-room audio that they, they did buy it from me, but they wanted it because they saw it on Sonos. They saw the commercials right. and they're like, ooh, we need this. They, they've developed this, really this part of the industry beyond what we ever could. But at the same time, we, we still seem to demonize them. Is this not something where them doing well, them continuing to expand multi-room audio and voice control right now and, and some of the other things to the general populace, at some point, will that not lead back to your, you know, your custom integrator? Because there comes a point fairly quickly in the relationship from a, from a tech standpoint where most consumers get well beyond their depth. Mm -hmm. uh, the answer is absolutely. And I go right back to that rising tide raises all ships comments, right? I was guilty as charged of having said that multiple trainings and I will get <laughs> It because it's the truth. Listen, we all know dealers are supposed to be marketing to the consumers. And one of the best habits we keep talking is you should be going out and talking to consumers every time there's something new so that you can get that repeat business. Exactly what Colin is saying, right? You want to be their trusted source. If Sonos wants to go and spend their part of their $100 million that they're getting out of this to market that there's a new soundbar coming out or that there's a new speaker coming out. And then the idea is that then you can go and you can use that as a dealer. You can follow up, say, by the way, you've probably seen this from Sonos. I have access to this. When can I stop by and give you a live demo or something like that? Why wouldn't you want that? I mean, ultimately, they're helping the dealer by marketing and by, by, by sharing that voice of customer. I mean, the, one of the biggest challenges as a manufacturer is you got to put your money. Am I going to put money behind the dealers or am I going to go put money behind the consumers and try to have them create that pull? A good, very, very famous brand of faucet is Kohler. Kohler doesn't at all put a single dime towards plumbing advertising. They put all the advertising towards the consumer, which mm -hmm. in turn goes back up to their plumber and say, can you give me a Kohler faucet? Because that's the one I saw on TV. So again, rising tide raises all ships, right? So Colin's right. Dealers become their trusted advisor. Use that to help you deliver the further message. And by the way, you're not the only one whose parents basically went and put a system in a mat because ultimately they have done in a phenomenal job of trying of, of simplifying the common, the terminology of distributed audio. It's funny, go to a, go to a party, right? If all three of us, right? We're techies. We go have a dinner. We go have dinner with our wives and our friends and family. And we start speaking distributed audio. Everybody's eyes go glossy. We say, well, like Sonos. Oh, I've heard of Sonos. Bang. You got them. You want one? Matt can sell you one. There you go. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. As I said, we all like to demonize them, but they've done a lot for the industry. I, I, I haven't seen too many other brands buy Super Bowl ads. <laughs> exactly. And at the end of the day, you know, again, they're helping everybody. I know they're not as margin rich as you can make on other things, but you're still making money. And let's face it, how hard is it really to plug in a device and set up a Wi-Fi password? As long as you've changed the default password, no password. And your exactly. cybersecurity, right. Good. Well, everything yeah, right. ties right back together. I love it. That was fantastic. All right, gentlemen, let's leave it there for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Colin, where can people connect? And actually, hold on, let me pause that for one second. 
last week we talked about uh, your product in, in yeah. one of the stories we did. One of the points of confusion that we had was whether uh, your device can just see devices that are Wi-Fi, as in they have a Wi-Fi chip and they're connected via Wi-Fi, versus if they can see anything that's connected to the network. Uh, we talked before we started about this. Can you just clarify that for anybody yeah. who Yeah, absolutely. So anything that's connected to the network, so whether it's hardwired or Wi-Fi, we can see it, and we base that all on the MAC address. Excellent. Thank you so much for clearing that up. Uh, but again, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you. If, if people want to connect with you, find out more about your company uh, and, and your products that you have, where can they do that? Yep. So the best thing to do is go to our website. It's uh, www.axi.us. And we have a whole section on there for our integrators. Um, so you can just click on the button that says um, pros and find out more information. Uh, you can also email us at sales at axi.us or uh, give us a call. This isn't my cell phone, but you can call our general number at 415-878-1978. So plenty of ways to get a hold of us. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us. Andre, my good friend, thank you for, uh, for popping in from AC. If people want to connect with you, where can they do that? Easiest ways on LinkedIn, Andre Lalonde uh, happens to be the same thing on Twitter and all these other things too. So I, I'm fairly accurate and odds are if Julie Jacobson's got an article out there, I'm probably commenting on it anyways. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we all, uh, you know, level our, our social media connectivity is how many times we comment on her posts for myself. Thank you again, gentlemen, for joining us. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter and every other social platform. But more importantly, please stop by aviation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our underwriters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you support them as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. Thank you.